We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In the hands of Waiters, three seconds left for three in the win. Yes! Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Roto-Wire NBA podcast, a special edition of the podcast. I'm joined by James Anderson for a follow-up. Uh, a few weeks ago, James, we did the 10 best draft picks of the last five years. And multiple times throughout that episode, we noted how much more fun it would be to do the worst draft picks of the last five years. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. So we've each prepared our separate list of our top 10. This encompasses the 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019 and 2020 drafts. I don't. I only have two players, I believe, from this most recent draft. Obviously, it's a, it's a little bit harder to make sweeping judgments, you know, for players we've only seen for, in some cases, 30, 40, 50 games. Uh, but very interested to see where you went with your list here. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the the two main things that I really penalized teams for were just terrible process. Like if they just clearly had zeroed in on somebody uh, for reasons beyond just, you know, how good of a basketball player they were. Um, Or if the team passed over a generational talent who people were saying at the time could have been, um, you know, a a non-controversial 
generational talent. Like, so, you know, I think there's, there's a huge drop off if you go from like an MVP candidate to a rotation player. Whereas if you took like a, a guy that was a total bust and you could have taken a rotation player, like that's still a gap, but it's a lot easier to kind of make up for that type of miss. But when you, when you pass on a generational talent, like that's, you're, you're never going to get that chance again. So um, I, I mostly zeroed in on teams where they just either had uh, a terrible process or just really blew a, a golden opportunity. Right. And this exercise is obviously so much easier to do in retrospect. Um, but I, I tried to kind of remember what, what we and what the general consensus was around these picks at the time. So I, I tried to penalize teams more for picks that were dumb at the time and look even dumber now. Whereas like some picks, you know, were considered basically home runs at the time and, and maybe didn't work out. Um, and if the process for the most part was, was sound, I, I tried not to penalize that team as much, but at the same time, there are some picks that just ended up being so bad, even if they seemed right at the time, based on one, how that player turned out to the players that went in the draft around them, that that team could have picked. Uh, there were some that I just had to include, you know, regardless of, of whether the process actually made sense at the time. Yeah, for sure. All right. I'll let you kick it off. Number one, the worst draft pick of the last five years for James Anderson is? Marvin Bagley, number two in 2018. All right. We start off one for one. This was kind of a layup. Uh, I have the exact same pick. Uh, we, we had a lot of overlap in our top uh, top 10 picks of the, the last five years, and I don't think we'll have quite as much uh, this time around. But this one to me was, was extremely easy. I, I penciled it in right away and just built my list from there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I didn't have to spend much time thinking about this. I'm sure that, I mean, if you asked 100 people, I'm sure that 90% plus would, would take uh, Marvin Bagley for, for this exercise. So, um, you know, just kind of a a combination of factors here. I mean, like, I, I think, you know, obviously, I, I thought Luka Doncic was the clear top guy in this draft. Um so, I mean, you're taking a guy over someone that a lot of people, I, w- I would even say roughly 50% of people who were um, covering the draft or scouting the draft, I would say roughly 50%, maybe even more than 50% thought Doncic was the clear top guy in this class. So you pass on him. Uh, and then also with, with Bagley, like, I didn't even have him in my top five. Like, so, I mean, you're passing on Doncic, but you're also passing on Trey Young, Jaron Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, it, right. It wasn't, it wasn't just that they passed on Luka Doncic. It's that they took a guy who really would have fit better. Um, I mean, would he even have been a good fit in like the 90s? Because, I mean, I just don't think he was physical enough necessarily to hang back right. then maybe the early 2000s would have been yeah. sort of his his heyday uh but just yep. did not fit the modern game at all because he can't um you know he can't stretch the floor he can't defend his position um i mean the kings have always just been terrible whenever he's on the court yeah. so uh pretty easy call yeah this is one that totally fits the the process was flawed from the start like everyone kind of saw this coming and obviously injuries have played somewhat of a role in in Bagley just not being effective whatsoever but like you said when he's been healthy it's not like he's been this revelation and everything changes for the Kings I mean it it was a a terrible pick at the time I remember before the draft Vlade was discussing that they they were maybe going to use him as a small forward when it was very clear if anything that he needed to bulk up and work on his defense and play center 
Uh, he just he's the same player basically that he was at Duke, which was a very very good college player. And it, it's almost like the Kings just did not project at all like how that would you know how it, how it would translate to the NBA game, and just blindly took the guy that was the best college player for a lot of that season. It was a, it was a very like you said, it was a very like 1998 to 2005 draft process for them entirely. Yeah, exactly. Just sort by points and rebounds per game and, and take that guy. Yeah, it never made a lot of sense then. It looks even worse now. It's, it's going to go down as as an all-time, you know, top five or six, probably worst draft pick of all time, uh, assuming that Doncic continues on this trajectory. Who is number two on your list? Uh, DeAndre Ayton from that same class. Um. I just think that the massive, massive, massive gap between him and Luka Doncic, um, they could have easily gone with Doncic here. Uh, and not only do you have passing on a, a perennial MVP candidate for a big man who is, you know, maybe like a top 15 center in the league, um, but I mean, centers, even just just paying a center what the first overall pick gets paid in itself is is a massive commitment uh, financially and and something that you probably don't want to do unless you're talking about a Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic type of of center. Um, but there was also just the the Arizona connection, like just I mean terrible process on that front. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I mean to me it was not close between Aiton and Doncic. I know some people maybe even had Aiton over Doncic, uh, but when you're looking at the modern game, there was only so good, like even if DeAndre Aiton worked out perfectly, like we're not talking about a Carl Anthony Towns type of offensive player. We're not talking about uh, Joel Embiid type of defensive player. Like it, it, it wasn't going to be that good, um, even if it worked out perfectly. So I just didn't see the upside there to, to justify taking a big man, especially a big man with questions about his defense and mm-hmm. his ability to stretch the floor. Um, so I just think that that's, that's the type of pick where you, you had a chance at getting um, a guy that could have just completely catapulted your franchise into, I mean, they could be the, they could be the, the best core in the league right now. And they, they passed yep. on that. Yeah, it's actually amazing that the Suns are where they are based on how they've drafted. I have three Suns on my list just from the last <laughs> five years, and there there could have been four. I you know they they went on quite a run uh, during this time, and I have Aiton down at six on my list, and part of that is just because he's been fairly good. I mean, I, everything that you said is completely right. Uh, the process was flawed from the beginning. The the, he plays in the same state that our team is located in argument is like an extreme. That's like, that's not even nineties. That's like seventies. Like when you're talking yeah. like the like regional, like we just get everybody in our region. Like that was insane. Uh, and, and it, if he didn't go to Arizona, I do wonder if they make this pick, like there was some sort of like bizarre Sarver connection where he just needed to get this Arizona guy. Um, you know, again, I, I don't, it's not as bad to me as the Bagley pick just because Aiton has been pretty good. You know, he's, he's third in this class in win shares, you know, it's going to end up being a, okay, maybe he makes one or two all-star games, but Doncic is going to make 15 all-star games and it's still going to look bad, but I, I, at least we're not going to look back and be like, this guy was a complete and total bust, which is the way that Bagley's heading right now. Yeah. I would say the Bagley one is in kind of a tier by itself. I, I don't, I don't think they're in the same tier, but I did think um, the opportunity cost there was massive enough to have him right. pretty high. Right. And this draft, especially the Doncic, pick because in the other drafts like there there are some situations where you know the number one and number two picks didn't really pan out 
and there were better players that went three or four or seven or 12 or whatever it is. This one is the one to me that stands out as like everybody who had watched Doncic and really did their homework saw this coming. And that wasn't necessarily the case. If you want to talk about like Jason Tatum over Markel Fultz, um, you know, there were certainly plenty of people the the majority, I think that thought Fultz was going to be great. And there were some questions about Tatum. Like if you really did your homework on Doncic and you did your homework on Aiton and Bagley, this is essentially the exact outcome that you would have expected. Right. All right. Number three for you. Do you want to go with your number two? Oh, yeah. Duh. All right. You're, you're so much better at keeping track of the list as we go. So it, like you said, I have Aiden at six. I have Bagley at one. My number two. We're going to go a little wild here, James. I, I hope this guy made your list. I'm going Jerome Robinson, the number 13 pick in the 2018 draft. He made my list. He was eight. Okay. All right. I'd love to see it. This one, this, this is just a special one in my heart because this is the back-to-back Clippers picks. I think this is what sparked the entire conversation of why we should do this podcast. Yeah, the Clippers it, had two it, picks. They picked 12 and 13 in this draft. And this is the same draft. We, we've done everything through 2018 so far. They, they ended up trading for SGA, who technically goes 11 to Charlotte. They flip him for Miles Bridges. And I, I think they picked up another pick in that deal as well. So you get SGA there. You have another pick to burn. This is at the time when the Clippers, as they are now, were still a a pretty good team, a team that was on the way up that you know was kind of looking for one more piece to really raise that ceiling. Michael Porter Jr. is sitting right there, starting at pick probably eight or nine in this draft. Sexton goes eight. Kevin Knox goes nine. At that point, everybody's thinking Michael Porter Jr., Michael Porter Jr. The risk is worth the reward at this point. You get SGA. And then you take Jerome Robinson, who, as we noted on that previous podcast, was not even really in the draft conversation until like two or three weeks before draft night. All of a sudden, he just emerges as this potential lottery pick. And they pull the trigger there on another guard after just taking a guard in SGA. They pass up on Michael Porter. We, everybody knows the medical situation with Porter. There's a reason he fell to 14. But to not take that risk with your second consecutive pick at the end of the lottery to me that that was just such an obvious spot to to kind of take a lottery chance uh, on Michael Porter and and obviously they regret not doing that yeah and it it had uh ripple effects um I mean like this current Clippers team could look different I mean I, I don't necessarily know exactly how it would have played out but even if you didn't take Michael Porter if if you just took someone like Steven Chenzo or Lonnie Walker, or Kevin Herter or something right. like that. Anybody. Like you're at least getting a piece that you can use in a trade to get some help. You know, like they could have gotten, they could have flipped, like say they take Lonnie Walker or something, they could have flipped him at this year's deadline for, for yeah. an impactful piece um, that could help them win the title or, or maybe last year's deadline. Um, and instead they, they didn't, they got a player where they couldn't get anything for him in the trade market. Right. His value exactly. just went, it went to zero basically immediately. Like as soon as mm-hmm. they drafted him and as soon as he started right. playing in games, he had zero trade value. So right. like, even if you, even if they didn't want to take Michael Porter, I agree with you. That was the obvious pick there. You got to at least get something there that, that can maintain some value for you in trade discussion. Right. This wasn't a Luke Kennard, Donovan Mitchell situation where it's like, you obviously want one side or the other, but the other side is not a complete disaster. Like you still got a, rotation player who's pretty decent and you were able to trade him and pick up a pick whatever Jerome Robinson is legitimately the second worst player in that entire draft the only the only more damaging player in terms of the advanced metrics was Kevin Knox who went nine and we we will be talking about Kevin Knox on my list as a little preview 
Um, but yeah, you you didn't even you didn't even get you know if you had taken Kevin Herter there, you'd be like, man, I wish we had Michael Porter Jr. But hey, we have this guy who's maybe our starting shooting guard or our sixth man. Like you got a guy who was a bust immediately, and you just had to give away for nothing as a lottery pick. I mean, just just a horrifically bad pick by the Clippers. And again, the biggest thing for me is having those two picks. Take a chance with one of them. Like, what was Jerome Robinson's upside? It, it never seemed high at the time, and it's probably you know, definitely even lower than than people who were a fan of his at the time would have thought. Yeah, for sure. All right, so back to you. Your number three. All right. Uh, this is a a bit of a wild card, and this is um, this is one that just didn't make any sense at the time, and it. it doesn't necessarily have a ton to do with the players that went after him. It's more about the, the team fit. And that's Jackson Hayes at number eight overall in 2019. Uh, and, and the big thing to me here is that this is eight picks after they took Zion Williamson, number one overall. Um, they got, they got him uh, via the Hawks or they got Hayes via the Hawks, but uh, that, right. that pick was for uh, the Pelicans. That was David Griffin's pick basically. Um and you you took a you basically voluntarily took a center who would never be able to play with Zion Williamson, and um, you just you, you needed any any big man that was going to play next to Zion Williamson um, needed to be able to shoot threes basically, uh, or or just be a defensive stud uh, right. at the rim. And Hayes just really was never going to be either of those things, like. Maybe you could dream on him being that rim protector, but he was probably, you know, three, four years away from from getting strong enough to to play that type of role. And so you're you're basically just taking a a backup rim running center here at at number eight overall. Um, you know, I I wouldn't have wanted Rui Hachimura either, but you know, a guy like Cam Reddish, um, Tyler Hero, like. PJ Washington. I mean, there were options. Uh, I mean, even <laughs> Nikhil Alexander Walker hasn't had a great career, but like, I think their pick at 17, like I would have rather than take Nikhil Alexander Walker yep. at eight than Jackson Hayes at eight. So right. uh, that one was just like, what are you doing? And then, I mean, the same front office went out and, and traded value. They, they traded value for Steven Adams and then signed Steven Adams. Like, they've just made multiple moves at the center position where I just don't think they really understand what they're doing. And um, it, it just made zero sense at the time. And, and it was such a big pick because it's like, you're, you're now you're building around Zion and every right. move from here on out has to be about Zion. And yet you, you just take a guy who just doesn't fit with him at all at, at eight. Right. And to make matters worse, you traded out of the fourth pick. They got that number four pick as part of the Davis deal. That pick becomes DeAndre Hunter, who, based on what we've seen from him this year, albeit in a fairly limited sample because of injury, he looks great. And I think he's one of those guys that, like any team in the league, would love to have that version of DeAndre Hunter you know, in your starting lineup or as your sixth man. And, you know, who knows? Maybe Jackson Hayes turns into a nice, you know, Jared Allen or something, that type of center down the road. But But even if that's the case, like, in no world is Jackson Hayes knocking down one and a half threes per game and shooting 38% from deep to offset the fact that Zion can't shoot. So I'm with you hundred percent. That one made very little sense. I, I I did not love the trade down. I didn't think they picked up quite enough value, especially in that draft, because I mean, obviously, you know, Jarrett Culver who went six hasn't turned out well. Kobe White's been a little bit of a disappointment, but 
it felt like there was kind of a drop-off midway through that top 10. So to trade out of four to go down to eight and 17, I, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't love the process there at all. I, I think they lost value in the trade and, and obviously would have much rather had the player that went at four. Yeah. All right. My number three, I had to do this. I, I kind of hinted at it in the beginning as far as just the level of disaster that occurred here. Um, it, it has to make the list, even if the process wasn't all that flawed. Markel Fultz, number one pick in 2017. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I actually didn't include that one. Um, okay, fair enough. But I, I, I totally get it. I mean, it, it was a, a massive disaster and I mean the the Sixers might have won an NBA finals by now like if, if they had nailed that pick right so yep. um I mean I get it but I just don't like I think nobody at the time like literally nobody that I read or listened to at the time thought that that was a bad move um yep. so I just I didn't I wanted to more so sort of highlight picks that were just terrible um, at the time and, and weren't necessarily the, the product of injury, but I, I totally get it. I mean, when, when you whip that bad on the number one overall pick, uh, it's, it's really devastating. You whip that bad on the pick and you trade up to get it. That's really yeah. the kicker yeah. for me is, yeah. and, and you're, you're hundred percent right. And that's, there's a reason I didn't put him at number one. I, I think in terms of just value lost in the trade, I, I think he's probably the worst draft pick, but you know, because what, what do they end up flipping him for? Like two second round picks or something like that? I mean, you you punted on the number one pick for absolutely nothing. But yeah, as you said, every, at the time, Fultz was the lock of all locks. He was the perfect player at the top of the draft, the Sixers' final piece. You know, they needed this playmaking point guard who could also shoot. Uh, it, was, it was a complete lock. So you can't necessarily fault them for the process. Um, I just, and I said this on, on the best draft picks pod, I feel like Boston knew something that Philly didn't know. And credit goes to Boston for figuring that out. They certainly could have used, at the time, a Markel Fultz. They traded down for a reason. They were locked in on Tatum. Something about Fultz, I don't know what it was, tipped them off that he wasn't the guy. And Philly wasn't able to figure that out. So I think they have to be penalized for not doing that. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. All right. So your number three was Jackson Hayes, right? Yep. Okay. And I had Fultz at three. Um, back to your number four, then. All right. Uh, back to the Phoenix Suns. Um, right. I'm going to go with Jalen Smith, the number 10 overall pick from this most recent draft. And, you know, part of me wanted to just lump in all these teams that idiotically passed on Tyrese Halliburton. Mm -hmm. But this was the biggest offender by a pretty wide margin because you they were voluntarily taking a backup center here and you're like no matter how low you are on Tyrese Halliburton and you just maybe you just think he can't run pick and roll he has to play off the ball like all that stuff he's better he's better than a backup center like even even the low end version of Tyrese Halliburton is better than a backup center and this was a team that like with Chris Paul like they're trying to win they're trying to win in the short term like Jalen Smith gives them nothing on the court or in trade value uh, that can help them win in the short term. So it just, it made absolutely no sense at the time. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was really, I, I mean, I think on most like mock drafts, Jalen Smith was kind of around 20, maybe, in, maybe even in the twenties. Um, 
so I mean it was it was a reach but it was also just a a crazy fit um in terms of already having DeAndre Ayton I I just had no idea what they were doing and the the fact that Halliburton's worked out this well I mean even if they'd just gone with Devin Vassell who the the Spurs took at 11 that would look way better yeah I'm glad you have Smith this high I snuck him on my list at 10 uh just because it's so early and he's only played 16 games but yeah the process made no sense here at all. And even if Jalen Smith gets things turned around and looks like a good player next season, I still don't think the process, you know, is correct. And I, I think Halliburton was such an obvious pick at this point, like I mean, kind of similar to with Michael Porter slide where like at some point it's like, how is, you know, this team's got to be the one, this team's got to be the one. And, you know, I, I considered putting Obi Toppin on my list. He was my first guy out. Um, he's, he's 11th, I guess, if the list did go that far, because I think the Knicks blew a major opportunity to grab a point guard and, Maybe that's you know kind of mitigated by the fact that they landed a pretty nice player later on in Emmanuel Quickly, but I mean Quickly is not Tyrese Halliburton, and and for the Suns it's you know you mentioned like how we would view the Sixers if they had Jason Tatum or or you know how how differently all these teams would look if they'd made the correct pick. You know some of these teams would be just completely stacked. I mean imagine Luka Doncic playing with Devin Booker right now on on the Suns, but you know imagine the Suns if they had Tyrese Halliburton, like we'd be talking about you know kind of the heir apparent to Chris Paul where. You know, there, there was an article on ESPN yesterday talking about, do the Suns now want to sign an extension with Chris Paul for the next couple of years because he's played so well? I imagine if you had Tyrese Halliburton learning from Chris Paul, functioning as your sixth or seventh man this year, and then whenever Paul moves on, you kind of hand things off to him and, and things continue as they are. And the Suns just completely blew an opportunity to, you know, kind of hand things off in almost a, a Favre Rogers type of way. And, and Halliburton's probably not going to be Chris Paul, but you know what I mean. Well, and I, I think they could have run out some really deadly lineups with the, the three guards. Like, I think, I think Paul Booker and Halliburton could play together because right. uh, Booker and Halliburton have pretty good size. Chris Paul obviously can, can guard much bigger than he is. And, um, you know, McCall Bridges, I mean, they would have just had just that, that would have just given them such another valuable element there. And I mean, we'd, we, I think the Suns already are kind of a, a sleeper team that could maybe win a series, maybe even get really lucky and win a couple series. But if they had Halliburton, I think there'd yep. be people talking about them as, as legitimate finals contenders. For sure. If, if there's one glaring hole on this roster, it's that the backup point guards are Javon Carter and campaign. You know, <laughs> right. look at, look at the, like, look at the upgrade that that would have been to Halliburton. And I mean, I, I think the Suns the Suns are very quietly one and a half games behind Utah in the West. I mean, they're, they're not title favorites, but I think, you know, they beat Utah in overtime last night. I, at this point, I, I think we have to start talking about them as, as at least a very legitimate West finals contender. Yeah. And, and the whole thing about Halliburton, um, you know, that, that was why like everyone was like, well, the Warriors aren't going to take Halliburton at two, but he'd be a great fit because he's ready to help a team win now. Well, if you look at that whole lot, that whole lottery, the next team that was ready to win right now after Golden State was Phoenix. And yeah. they, like, he would have just been such a perfect fit because he was plug and play. He didn't need to dominate the ball. He could have played off ball plenty and uh, run the second unit and just knock down threes off of Booker and, and Paul. So, I mean, it, it just would have been such a great fit. Um, yeah. Sorry, Suns fans. But this, right. this, is not, this has not been pretty. Yeah. And my last note on that, what makes this pick worse is, as you alluded to, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At the top of the section, nobody was saying Jalen Smith should go here. You know, it wasn't like this was just the consensus pick. Like they reached for the guy. That's what that's what makes it even worse. You reach, you passed on the obvious slider with a ton of upside who's the perfect fit for what you're trying to do to reach for a guy who most guys, you know, most people had mocked in like the mid-20s. And Jalen Smith already looks like a much worse prospect than guys like Isaiah Stewart and Precious right. Achua and like Sadiq Bay. So like even yeah. if you even if you wanted to go kind of like off board and get a big man, like they just they took the wrong guy. Yeah. But Isaiah Stewart, by the way, leads all rookies in total blocks and rebounds out of nowhere. I love him. I mean, he's he's so fun to watch. Uh, All right. Number four on my list. I assume he'll pop up on yours as well. We shall see. I have the number 12 pick in the 2017 draft. That is Luke Kennard, Detroit Pistons. Again, not a bad player, uh, a player who's going to make north of 60 million dollars over the next four years. I think that's going to be one of the worst contracts in the league for what it's worth. Um, But that, you know, some teams are high on him. This is just a classic the guy who went after you and really the guy who went after the guy who went after him, which is Bam Adebayo. uh, Those guys are on, you know, multi-time all-star, you know, borderline hall of fame trajectories already four years into their career. Luke Kennard is not on that kind of trajectory. He's had injuries for a team that basically for the entire last decade, last 15 years, since the end of their last run um, in the mid two thousands has been in desperate need of a superstar and in the draft needs to take stabs to try to find said player to take Luke Kennard at 12 over Donovan Mitchell, who went 13, Bam Adebayo, 14, inexcusable. Uh, you know, you, you're, you're probably getting a, a decent role player. Uh, this was a team that at the time was basically like the seven or the eight seed in the East. Um, I, you know, it, it wasn't like Luke Kennard was the missing piece that was going to propel you to title contention uh, to not take a stab on, on two of the higher upside players in the draft at this pick, I, I thought was inexcusable. And with each passing day, it continues to look worse. You know, this one actually didn't make mine. And the reason it didn't is because, like, it's not like the Pistons were the only team that took a inferior player over Donovan Mitchell. Like, I, I thought Malik Monk was a bigger miss because Kennard's better than Monk. And, I mean, Zach Collins has been hurt, but obviously Mitchell's better than Collins. Mitchell's better than Smith. Mitchell's better than Neil Aquino. Mitchell, Mitchell's better than, like, all these guys. So, right. um, and Kennard's, Kennard's shooting 47% from three this year. Like, I, obviously, he's going to get judged against that contract. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a bad contract. They shouldn't have given him that contract. Uh, but, it like, he's a he's a legit NBA player. Like, he's better than a lot of the guys that got taken ahead of him. Like, he's better than Dennis Smith and better than Neil Aquino and, 
I mean, he's, yeah, he's averaging 19 minutes a game off the bench. I don't know. I mean, he's better than those guys for sure. But my, my counter to that would be nobody was really clamoring for Donovan Mitchell to go seven or eight. You know, it, it felt like that was the right range for him. And then you take a player of the exact same position over him. And, and yeah, Charlotte taking Monk, you know, equally bad. But at least with Monk, like he was such a popular college player. He had had those massive scoring games. Like you kind of thought like, man, if everything works out, which in retrospect, there's like a 5% chance that that was going to happen. At least with Monk, you could be like, man, this guy is a crazy explosive scorer. He can give you 25 on any night. I, I just don't know that Kennard ever had that kind of upside. Yeah, I just thought Malik Monk was incredibly overrated in that draft. Yeah. And I actually like Kennard more than Monk. Um, okay. So I, it, Monk was the closest of the Donovan Mitchell guys for me of, of making my list. But it, in the end, I just felt like um, this was it was kind of like with um, like the, the Tatum Fultz thing where I just felt like the Jazz deserved a ton of credit. And you, you could lump a bunch of teams in that, that kind of screwed up the evaluation on Mitchell. Yeah. All right. Very fair. Your number five. All right, uh, back to the 2020 draft. Uh, James Wiseman, number two overall. I, I figured Wiseman would be on your list. He did not make mine uh, a little too early for me to make any definitive judgments, um, but I, I completely understand it. And I, I think a lot of this you know, has to do with, with how good LaMelo Ball is looking like he's going to be, right? Yeah, and honestly, I, I think Wiseman might be headed down the Marvin Bagley path of um I I, I think the 2018 and 2020 drafts that the top three are just incredibly similar from a I think you're you're probably dealing with I mean obviously Bagley's a bust and it's too early to say Wiseman is going to be that bad but I mean it's it's been really really rough for him um and I I just again, it's it's taking a center that you're going to have to pay the salary of the number two overall pick, and if you're going to take a center that high, you have to nail it. Like you can't whiff on it, and especially when, I mean, like Lamelo Ball. I'm trying to like I think Doncic was more of a consensus top guy among yeah, smart absolutely. people than Lamelo was, but I mean there were still lots of really smart people that thought LaMelo was the clear top guy in that draft. So if you're going to pass on that guy for a center, you have to be right. And they, I don't think we're right about it. And like, now they're just in this terrible spot where like they needed to get a player with that pick that either was going to hold a ton of trade value or help them in the short term, ideally both. And Wiseman has hurt them this season. They were trying to make the playoffs. They're trying to, you know, win this year and next year, he's been a negative player for them. Uh, they have to kind of keep playing him to try to develop him, but he's also just losing trade value by the day. And I mean, who knows if Bradley Beal is ever going to want out of there, but like, I, I think Wiseman's trade value is probably half what it was on draft day. And it's probably going to continue to, to go down the more he plays. And I just, I wonder what they're going to end up getting for him. Like, are they going to just end up having to sell low on him to make sure they get something for him? Uh, are they going to just ride it out with him and, and try to salvage it? Like, I, I just think it's it's put the organization in a really tough spot. And if they had taken LaMelo Ball, I mean, they would just be, <laughs> like, they would be so set up. 
they would be just set up for um, helping, like he would have helped them compete next year. Um, I mean, they might have entered next year if, if you get Clay back and you have Melo Ball. Like all of a sudden, they're they're a dark horse uh, title contender next year. Uh, I don't think they are a title contender as currently constructed with no. Wiseman instead of Ball. And you have that next face of the franchise that can play with Steph Curry and can help usher you into the next era. I think you also make the playoffs this year if you have LaMelo Ball. That, that's right. another thing. I, I think there's more short-term gain. You're totally right about the the trade value. You know, at, at the very least, you needed somebody who would hold his value because they made the decision to keep that pick. They could have traded that pick for a better win-now piece or even a win over the next two to four years piece as you play out the prime of, of Steph Curry and, and you have Clay returning next year. That's the biggest thing to me is, is you opted to hold on to the asset and make the pick. And then as of right now, made the wrong pick. And, and here's an interesting exercise. If you're looking at the 2021 draft, at what point would you say, I'll trade my pick straight up for James Wiseman? Like how low down do you have to go? Um, I haven't, I haven't looked a ton outside of the top five guys, but I mean, I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't trade a top five pick for James Wiseman. No, absolutely. I mean, I think I think you start the conversation in like the seven to eight range. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think Wiseman is, you know, even with his value being this much depressed, he's he's still worth a pick in that five to ten or that six to ten range in this year's yeah. draft just based on athleticism. And, it, and like it, look, like Golden State was not an ideal spot for him for some reasons like for some for some reasons I think it was good because I think he needs to be around guys like Draymond Green and and Steve Kerr and Steph Curry to, to some extent but the system is you know it, it but this was part of the problem with them taking him like they run this this system that no other team in the league runs that is really about feel and understanding the game and right. they expected this guy to come in like I, I, there's been this whole, like, they want to have it both ways where they're like, well, it's too early to like panic and everything, but it, you needed a player that could help you this year and next year. Like whatever you did with that number two pick, whether you traded it, whether you drafted a guy, like there, there isn't mm-hmm. time to develop a player like Wiseman. So it's just, right. um, just a, a bad fit from that sense as well. Yeah. And, and you, you have the protected wolves pick, you know, this coming draft that, that could maybe bail you out, but this was such an important pick for them. You know, literally continuing a dynasty was on the line with, with making this pick. And like you said, if they get LaMelo Ball, I mean, the, the conversation around the Warriors is a complete 180, like 100% different. You know, they, they don't win the title this year, but we're talking about a team that next year would be rolling out Steph Curry, LaMelo Ball, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and is probably one of the more attractive destinations for, you know, mid to high level free agents. You know, who knows what you do with Oubre and Wiggins. I mean, it would just be an incredibly difficult team to defend. I mean, you have LaMelo Ball essentially as your, your kind of 1A, 1B point guard with Curry. Um, it, it gives you a lot more license to bring Clay back slowly. I mean, I was, I was frankly a little concerned the other day. Clay had a quote where he's like, I'm not going to be guarding the best players anymore. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't know if my body's going to be capable of that. It's going to take me a long time to be back. It, it didn't really sound like the words of a guy who was just like ready to hit the ground running. I mean, it's, there's a lot of risk with, with what the Warriors' future holds. And potentially blowing this pick in a big way, I, I think we're going to look back as, as maybe the, the turning point of, of when things kind of officially ended for what's been a really crazy dynastic run. Yeah. And, and it's just, it was a, it just swung so heavily, right? Like yep. if, if, if 
they had taken LaMelo, then it's just like, oh my God, like the Warriors are going to start right. that dynasty 2.0. Exactly. And everyone's going to want to play. Like they would have been like a, a huge destination for right. the next crop of young players kind of hitting the open market because yep. everyone would have wanted to play in San Francisco with LaMelo Ball. Right. And instead it kind of went the exact opposite way. No, absolutely. All right, my number five. We'll go through this one quickly. We already have disparaged him a couple times on this pod. Kevin Knox, the number <laughs> nine pick in 2018. I mean, one of the legitimately worst players to come into the league in the last five years. And that's a part of this is, is not only did you pass on, you know, McCall Bridges went one pick later. SGA went two picks later. Michael Porter uh, obviously went at 14. This was egregious. I mean, there there were those people who liked Kevin Knox. Uh, it was brought up a number of times that he did play football in high school. For some reason, that was like the this whole like, hey, he's he's an athlete. He played football. That's gonna help him play NBA basketball. He's been terrible. He has. I mean, he ranks at the bottom of like any advanced stat from this draft. He's he's dead last in VORP. He's you know minus 4.7 career BPM. He's dead last in win shares. And part of that just comes with the fact that he's played more games and more minutes than some of these guys that went in the second round. But he has been unplayable essentially since entering the league and is probably on his way out of New York for for nothing at this point. Like, I don't even know if teams would give up a second round pick for Kevin Knox. It would not be surprising if he's not on an NBA roster in a year or two. Yeah, he was he was my number nine. Um, so I, he made my list for sure. I mean, I. I, I echo everything you said there for sure. Uh, I don't, you know, I think at the time it didn't seem like that bad of a pick. Uh, right. I would also ding them for the process here of just kind of being uh, sort of tied to Kentucky guys. I mean, it, it does sort of seem like for better or worse, the Knicks kind of make a lot of these picks based on relationships that have nothing to do with how good the player is at basketball. Very true. But if you're gonna take a Kentucky guy, take SGA, who went two picks. <laughs> you know that's that, that like I, I agree with you, but you took the wrong Kentucky guy. Right. And I mean, if you're gonna take a big swing here, and that's what they were doing. I mean, Kevin Knox was arguably the rawest player in this draft, probably either him or, or Mo Bamba, at least among guys who went in the lottery. If you're gonna take that swing, take it on Michael Porter. I, I I think there was something. You know, the Knicks maybe didn't want to be a team that waits a full year for your number nine overall pick to debut. Um, you know, we, everyone kind of knew Porter probably wasn't going to play during his rookie season. And, and I think being the Knicks, that's harder to justify, but man, if you're going to take that swing on a, on a really high risk, high reward player, make it the guy with the higher ceiling. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by Gamer Saloon. Gamer Saloon is a video game tournament platform where you can play video games for real cash prizes. All major consoles and PCs are supported Our most popular titles are NBA 2K, Madden, FIFA, NHL, and Call of Duty. Gamer Saloon launched in 2006 and since then has awarded more than $75 million in prizes. Players could play in multiplayer tournaments or simply play 1v1 games from your couch for real cash prizes. Withdrawals are fast and easy and they're directly deposited right into your PayPal account. Join a free match on us today by going to Gamersaloon.com slash rotowire that's gamersaloon.com slash rotowire and simply pick your game of choice all you have to do is win one match and gamer saloon will give you ten dollars again gamersaloon.com slash rotowire win that match go get those free ten dollars so let's see here that was my number five uh back to you for number six 
All right. Uh, this is going to be controversial. I know you're not going to have him on there, uh, but I'm going to say Anthony Edwards. Um, again, it's kind of the exact same logic as DeAndre Ayton. I think Edwards is – he's – Absolutely not a winning player. I don't think he's ever going to be a winning player. I thought that was kind of clear before the draft. He's got a true shooting percentage under 50%. He's one of the worst defenders in the league. And I, you know, it depends like how high everyone was on LaMelo Ball. Um, There were plenty of people who thought LaMelo Ball was clearly better than Anthony Edwards. And this goes back to the process part of this where they – I mean, it was clear that the Wolves didn't want to make this pick because I think that they knew all they knew all the bad stuff about Anthony Edwards. They knew all the the questionable stuff about James Wiseman, and they didn't want to take Lamella Ball because they had D'Angelo Russell. And I think that that's just a gigantic mistake. They compounded a gigantic mistake by giving up that first rounder uh, to get D'Angelo Russell by passing on the best player in this draft because they had D'Angelo Russell. And I think that you're going to look back and LaMelo Ball is going to make uh, several All-NBA teams at least, maybe a couple first-team All-NBAs, and I don't think Anthony Edwards is ever going to make an All-NBA team. All right, so you're right. I do not have Anthony Edwards on my list. I will not go against you for having him on here. I, I think there's a very good chance that everything that you laid out is is correct. And he probably sticks around the league for a while, but we look back and say, man, if they had taken the guy who went number three, things would have been a lot different. For me, I don't hold the efficiency issues against Edwards quite yet. If we get to year two, year three, and he's still struggling to shoot 40% from the field, uh, that'll be more of a red flag. I, I think there's been plenty of elite players who struggled shooting the ball early on. But the bigger thing for me is the tunnel vision, the lack of kind of this innate playmaking that if you're going to be an elite lead guard in the NBA, you, you just, you just can't be a guy who's going to put your head down and take 25 shots and get two assists. You know, like it's just really hard for players like that to have long-term success because you have the ball in your hands so much, you're shooting it so often that even if you're really effective there, it just becomes a lot easier to defend um, so even though Anthony Edwards is probably going to win rookie of the year, he's going to probably end up averaging, you know, 18, 19, 20 points per game when it's all said and done, it's going to be a, a pretty empty stat line. And I think a lot of people are still going to be skeptical, but I think that the most correct thing you said is the process of just completely misevaluating your current roster or operating in fear of your quote unquote stars where you know, not wanting to take Wiseman because you have talents. And, and that one looks fine in retrospect, but that was kind of crazy at the time. Not wanting to take LaMelo Ball because you already have a point guard in D'Angelo Russell, who has missed over half the year and is chronically injured and simply not that good when he's healthy, to essentially draft for need with the number one pick in the NBA draft. That almost never works out. Almost never. Yeah, and it's, you know, I mean, that, that whole regime, I mean, they're going to get fired. I mean, they're all going to get fired pretty soon. And I, I think by taking Anthony Edwards, they sort of sealed their fate there where they, I think it was clear sort of coming into this year that they'd screwed up the D'Angelo Russell trade already. And so that, that was going to be hanging against them and they could have bailed themselves out by getting this super, like, I mean, the, they've, they've really struggled to draw fans. They've struggled for anyone in Minnesota to be interested in this team and 
all of a sudden, if you add LaMelo Ball into the mix with Carlante Towns, then you have one of the best league pass teams in the league and the type of player that could really uh, rally the fan base and, and probably save your job if you're the GM. And so, I mean, there's just a lot of factors at play here. And I, I actually think LaMelo might still win rookie of the year. I, I know I that. I think a chance. Like points per game, like points per game does typically end up winning the the award, but I think Lamelo played long enough, and everyone knows he's the best player from this class. That I, I think a decent amount of the electorate will still vote. Yeah, I think there's a good chance. I, I think Edwards is really helped by the fact that Malik Beasley, you know, missed a lo- missed a ton of time with the suspension, and then immediately got hurt again. So he's just going to have this pathway to play like 38 minutes a night the rest of the way, and just kind of pad those counting stats. So if, if he ends up playing 30 more games and is averaging right around, right around 20 points per game, I think a lot of people will just blindly look at the scoring average and, and give it to him. But it's going to be close. I, a lot of people, I think, are Team LaMelo and, and probably won't change that because those people actually watch Anthony Edwards play. Right. Okay, so I had DeAndre Ayton uh, at my number six. So we go back to you now for the seventh worst draft pick of the last five years. All right, so... This is probably, um, I would say right this minute, this guy's probably the best player on my list. Um, probably close between him and DeAndre Ayton. But it's really all about the process here, and that's Lonzo Ball, who went number two in 2017. Um, the fact that the Celtics knew that they could just trade down to three because they knew the Lakers were taking Lonzo Ball no matter what is just kind of hilarious on its face that like, well, Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox, no, they're they're locked in on Lonzo Ball because he's an LA guy and he's a big name. He's a celebrity already. Um, I mean, this was kind of the the height of organizational incompetence for the Lakers um, back when, was was Jeannie Buss's brother still running things? Had she taken over? Was Magic in charge? I can't remember who was I believe in charge, this was a magic this was a magic pick. Yeah. I, I, oh right. Yeah. I mean didn't didn't Magic like compare him to like Jason Kidd or something? Um I, Magic compared but, him to God, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, like it's just the fact that they just zeroed in on this guy for reasons that really it, it wasn't about, oh, this guy is just, he's the better player than Jason Tatum. He's better than De'Aaron Fox. It seemed like they zeroed in on him for reasons that really didn't have that much to do with his game. And it just, you know, I mean, he he's a good player. Like, I think in some circles, Slonzo Ball is actually underrated. And I think um, it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up uh, in free agency. But, uh, I mean, if, if the Lakers had Jason Tatum or De'Aaron Fox... I think, uh, I mean, who knows how that Anthony Davis thing ends up unfolding, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure the current Lakers roster would be in better shape if they had taken Tatum or Fox instead of ball. Yeah. The Lakers got completely bailed out by LeBron just wanting to go there. They would still be a completely average to below average team. If not for that, Um, that's the reason Anthony Davis wanted to go there. I I think their entire paradigm shifts when, when LeBron arrives because they, in some ways, they, they they punted out the Julius Randle pick, so they, they kind of blew that. You know, they, they pulled the plug on that before even really getting a ton of value. You, you, you I wouldn't say they blew the Ingram pick, but Ingram didn't really blow up until he got out of there. Same with Lonzo Ball. Um, yeah, just kind of a, a bizarre run of draft picks. And I googled Magic Johnson, Lonzo Ball. The first result is 
Magic Johnson says Lonzo Ball reminds him of himself. <laughs> and the, the second result, and this is this is from two weeks ago. Apparently, Magic was on first take and said that Lonzo Ball has the highest basketball IQ of any point guard in the NBA. <laughs> so he's still he's still on Team Lonzo. He's still defending his pick four years later. Is he has he ever has he heard of Chris Paul? I honestly am not sure that he has. I, I think if, if he has not played for the Lakers, then he's I don't think he's counting anyone. He has a higher does he have a higher IQ than uh Alex Caruso? <laughs> so I did not have Lonzo on my list. That's a compelling case. I now kinda wish I would have. Uh and part of it, like you said, is he's probably the best or second best player that we've named. So it doesn't really like quote unquote feel like a bust, but for the for the team that drafted him, it's a bust. You know, and you were able to use him to get Anthony Davis, but like you said, if they had taken Jason Tatum or taken De'Aaron Fox or, I mean, even, even Jonathan Isaac before the injuries or Donovan Mitchell, whoever, you know, if you have that extra asset there, you're maybe able to either one, keep him and, you know, develop that player alongside Anthony Davis and LeBron James, or you're able to, you know, swing another trade. You know, they, they gave up so much draft capital. You gave up Brandon Ingram as, as kind of the key player in that uh, trade for, for Anthony Davis, you could include Kuzma in that deal. And then if you really want to, you know, build a more veteran laden roster, you could flip Jason Tatum or you could flip De'Aaron Fox for somebody else to, to get like this true win now piece, you know, Brad Beal, whoever it is. And then the third door of course, is just having that guy develop alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis. So for as well as things have ended up working out for the Lakers, it's, it's, they had a pretty easy path to be even better. It's, it's very similar to the, what if Jason Tatum was just drafted by the Sixers argument. Well, like, and if Lonzo Ball went to Kentucky and was not a YouTube celebrity, like, they, there's zero chance the Lakers take him at two, right? Like, yes. if he if he hadn't gone to UCLA and he hadn't already right. kind of been this internet celebrity, he doesn't go there, and right. so that's just that just comes back to the process. Thing. Yeah, and this was the original version of the Suns taking DeAndre Ayton because he lives in Tucson. Right. Yeah. And well, the other thing with this, too, is Lonzo Ball was eaten alive by De'Aaron Fox on national TV. Yeah. And I feel like that was kind of the big showdown of like, you know, we at that point, we kind of knew Fultz was going one. And this was like, who's the second best point guard in the draft? And it was so clearly De'Aaron Fox in that game. And I think that's when it, we, you know, we really started to see some of the limitations that Lonzo might have, you know, when you really pressure him, when you really get up in his grill like Fox did. And it was such a one-sided just annihilation by Fox. And the Lakers just turned the other way and pretended like it didn't happen. Well, they, they might not have seen it. <laughs> it was He was at UCLA. You know Magic was watching that. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know how many games Magic was watching. Like, I, I mean, I don't – how many minutes of Lonzo Ball tape do you think Magic saw before he took it? Zero minutes. Zero minutes. Yeah. That's that maybe that's the overarching theme of this podcast. Is that Magic Johnson's incompetence while running the Lakers cannot be overstated. The degree to which yeah. he was bailed out by LeBron Raymond James. Uh all right, my number seven. We're going back to Phoenix. I have I, I believe is this the first player we've talked about from the twenty sixteen draft? We're going Dragon Bender, the number four pick in that draft. Uh, this is not necessarily a scenario where a great player, an all-star, went number five or number six. The two picks after him were Chris Dunn and Buddy Heald. But, man, I, I just remember thinking, like, I, I I don't see it with Dragon Bender. I think a lot of people felt that way. Granted, he was usually somebody that was penciled in in, like, the four to seven range on most mocks. So it, it wasn't like they just went completely off the board to take Dragon Bender. But he was just one of those guys that, 
he just looked like a bust in a lot of ways. You're like, I just, I, I don't know. I, I can't envision a scenario where Dragon Bender is making all-star games every year. Um, and it, you know, it went sideways right away. And, and again, there, there wasn't a really obvious player that they should have taken instead of him, but this was just yet another pick in, in a run of just extremely questionable choices by the Suns. Yeah, he was, he was my first man out. So he was 11 for me. Uh, I, I echo everything you said. I mean, he very close to cracking it. I, I think kind of that aspect of, I mean, they basically needed to take Jamal Murray there, uh, but they already had Devin Booker. Um, but at the time, that was during that, that time where they like didn't roster a true point guard for three straight years. Yeah. You know, like yeah, they were yeah. just kind of plugging and playing guys. It's like, you so clearly needed a point guard. And if, you know, I always rail against drafting for a need, but Man, I mean, I, I, that would have been maybe a slight reach for Jamal Murray at the time, but you took Dragon Bender instead. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're you're totally right. Yeah, I, I didn't really expect you to mount an impassioned defense for for the Dragon Bender pick. All right. So your number eight was Jamal Rob or Jerome Robinson. Excuse me. We already talked about him. He was my number two. So back to me, number eight on my list. We're digging deep. This is the lowest picked player uh, that I have on my list, and I, I assume will be the lowest on yours. The number eighteen overall pick. In 2017, the Indiana Pacers took TJ Leaf over John Collins, who went number 19. Yes, he was. I had him in my honorable mention section. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that one of us ranked him. He, he needed to be discussed. I mean, this was he was just such a like he was so soft at UCLA and he was effective. Yeah. I mean, he was he was on that team with Lonzo that that played really well. And, you know, I think they ended up losing to Kentucky in the Sweet 16, but they had a great season. He was you know, clearly their first or second best player alongside Lonzo that entire year. So there was a reasonable amount of hype, but man, it, it just felt like such a classic Pacers pick. It was extremely predictable. And a lot of people like John Collins in this draft. And and I thought about putting Milwaukee taking DJ Wilson at 17, right ahead of Leaf. Um, but DJ Wilson, you know, there's, there's at least this belief that like DJ Wilson had some potential with Leaf. It, the upside just always seems so low. And, you know, to pass on him and then have a, a really, really good player, you know, one of the best players in this whole draft, go at 19. Uh, even Jared Allen went a couple picks later. OG Ananobi went a couple picks later. Um, players, I, I kind of hold it more against the drafting team if they if they passed on a player of the same position for right. a much better player who went right after. Yeah, exactly. Like, like uh, John Collins was probably mocked kind of in the mid-teens, and he slides to 19. And this was kind of the high end of where TJ Leaf could have gone. So they definitely had a very clear option here to take John Collins and opted to take TJ Leaf. And I mean, this whole kind of range, there were a lot of candidates for me. Like I wanted to list like Tyler Lydon just because of how bad he is. But like, you know, it wasn't. Tyler Tyler Lydon was a white Kevin Knox. (laughs) Right. Uh, And then, I mean, I had like, Caleb Swanigan in my honorable mention, just just because like, you know, that you're know. clearly showing a lack of understanding of the NBA game if you're taking Caleb Swanigan <laughs> in the first round. But um, yeah, I mean, TJ Leaf I think was probably the the worst of these picks, kind of in this this yeah. late first round range. All right, so you had Kevin Knox as your number nine, right? Yep. Okay, so that sends it back to me. This will be the the final one that I discussed since we already talked about Jalen Smith, who's my number ten. We are once again finishing out a run on Phoenix Suns. Four of my final five are our Phoenix Suns picks, and we are going to stay uh, with the 2017 draft and go with the number four overall pick, 
Josh Jackson. This is just a classic, like, do your homework pick. And it was immediately <laughs> clear that there were some some major red flags that I think other teams seemed to catch and that Phoenix either didn't catch or turned a blind eye to. This felt like they just made the pick. They looked at a mock draft five minutes before the draft started and just said, here's who we're supposed to take, so we're going to take him. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I did not have uh, Jackson in my top 10, but um, that was probably my worst, um, as an analyst, my worst uh, player that I that I was high on from this five-year run. So uh, definitely worth uh, bringing him up. And was, I mean, the Suns, it's, it feels like every other pick is, is a Suns pick here. But, uh, I mean, that's just amazing that they – they have the second best record in the West and they've blown a, a handful of top 10 picks just in the last five years. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at their roster from the season before they made that pick. And that was, so this is the year that they, they ended up dealing Eric Bledsoe. He had, he had played 66 games, made 66 starts for them. I mean, the next true point guard on the roster is I guess Brandon Knight who you know, was a complete mess at that point, injury-wise. Tyler Eulis was on the roster. Leandro Barbosa somehow was on that roster. Like they, again, much like the, ben, like the Bender pick, you needed a point guard. And this time around, you know, whereas it would have been maybe a bit of a reach to take Jamal Murray at four in 2016, it mm-hmm. absolutely would not have been a reach to take De'Aaron Fox at number four in 2017. Right, right. Yeah. Horrendous uh, pick. Or go ahead. Wasn't was there? Did Fox like? Didn't Fox like want to go to Sacramento or something? I can't. Uh, I can't, that I can't I remember know. exactly. Like I think like he embraced like the Kings really liked him and he liked that the Kings really liked him yeah. and he embraced it or something. But uh, yeah, I mean, just in uh, I mean, I'm sure lots of lots of smart people at the time thought this was a bad pick. I uh, I an idiot thought that this was a, a great pick, uh, but Home it, it turns out. It turns out it was not. Right. And part of this is he turned out to be terrible and you you flipped him for no value. I mean, he went, once he got caught smoking weed around his baby, his value was completely tanked. Like it, the days of like trying to flip him for a protected first were over. Yep. Okay. So that finishes out my list. Like I said, I have Jalen Smith at 10. So we have your top nine. Who is your 10th and final worst draft pick of the last five years? Yeah, this is a guy that you mentioned kind of in passing. Um, but uh, I threw Obi Toppin in there, number eight from the 2020 draft. A variety of reasons here. Um, I mean, you you first of all, you just sort of had the the tweener, the four or five tweener who can't protect the rim, um, and you know can't really isn't strong enough to guard imposing post players, and was old for the was like the oldest player to go in the first round, I think. Um, but then you also just have the, well, he he was represented at CAA by uh, the general manager of the Knicks. Uh, yep. So you basically have, I mean, there, there's a there's a case that this had zero to do with Obi Toppin, the basketball player, and this was strictly a relationship pick. Um, and they just kind of were hoping that he'd work out. But uh, I mean, Tyrese Halliburton sitting right there. Yep. Uh, could have been, could have been a piece of cake. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was really bad at the time. And I mean, he's barely gotten on the court for them. So, I mean, they're, 
again, like you could you could go with Killian Hayes, you could go with Denny Abdia, um, all fitting this passing on Tyrese Halliburton um, theme. But I thought at the yeah. time, I thought uh, Obi Toppin was the second worst of those picks behind Jalen Smith. Yep, and like you said, I, I I hit on that earlier. I considered putting Tapia Toppin on my list. He's probably 11 or 12 if I had to build it out. Not good. I mean, passing on Halliburton for a team that's basically been starting Alfred Payton at point guard all year is is pretty inexcusable. Let's go to some honorable mentions quick. Other guys from from each year that that you maybe considered for one of those final spots. Um, yeah. So I, I mentioned Dragon Bender. Uh, also Jared Culver number six in 2019 oh, yeah. um killian hayes uh denny abdia mentioned Rui hachimura um i mean the the wizards have, have it seems like they basically struck out on abdia and hachimura i mean they're they're both going to be in the nba for a while but uh they're not going to be doing much to to help the wizards yeah go wherever they're trying to go uh malik monk i mentioned um Swanigan, Chris Dunn, number five in 2016. Uh, but, you know, I, th- I felt with, with the honorable mention guys, that it, it was either a combination of there not being a clear guy that was taken later than them they should have taken or just the the gap, you know, in value just wasn't that big. Right. Yeah, I thought about Killian Hayes. Uh, to me, it's just the injury you know, it, it doesn't really quite seem fair to just write him off already. He looked horrible, obviously, before he got hurt, but he's played fewer than 10 games, so a little too early there. Uh, looking at 2019, I had a couple of mid first-rounders. Sekou Dumbuya looks like a, a big-time bust, and the two guys who went after him were, were Chumo Kiki and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Both those guys look like they're going to be okay. Uh, and then the Spurs taking Lucas Simonic at 19. And everybody was like, oh, foreign guy, Spurs, this is going to work out. He's played in 24 games. He's played in 245 minutes so far. And the run after him is actually fairly impressive of, like, decent role players. Uh, immediately after Simonich was Matisse Thibel, Brandon Clark, Grant Williams, Darius Baisley. Any of those four guys I, I think you'd feel quite a bit better about uh, than Simonich. In 2018, I, I will say I considered putting Trey Young on there just because of the, the decision to trade out of the Dodgers pick for Trey Young. And he would have been easily the best player on the list. And it didn't really feel right to, to do that. And that's why I excluded him. But as we talked about on the best picks pod, part of the reason that, that Doncic was so high on my list is because they, they had to make a move to go get him. And obviously Atlanta was on the other side of that. That's actually, you know, that I didn't even think about that. Um, but that was an oversight by me. I kind of wish I had included Trey Young. Um, I mean, it's just not because now the Hawks are in this really tough spot where they're, they're going to have to give Trey Young a max. And, you know, I mean, what, what's your ceiling if Trey Young is, is your best player, I guess, is a, is a yeah. fair question to wonder. Not good. That's what it is. Uh, <laughs> later, later in 20, in 2018, uh, the, the Troy Brown Zaire Smith run at 15 and 16 directly after Michael Porter uh, mm-hmm. was terrible. Uh, the players to go right directly after those two were DiVincenzo, Lonnie Walker, Kevin Herter, Josh Okogie, Grayson Allen. Um, I, that one just didn't make a lot of sense to me at the time. I mean, Troy Brown is on it, maybe on his way to being out of the league. He's already been traded, barely seeing any minutes. 2017, we, we touched on most of those guys. I, the one that really stood out to me other than TJ Leaf was the, the inexplicable Justin Jackson pick 
by Portland at 15. I mean, he was coming off of, I think he was, I don't, I don't know if he was the most outstanding player for that North Carolina team, but he was coming off of the, the title there, but was an older prospect. Um, you know, that was another one where it's like, just take John Collins, please take John Collins. And you, you just take a guy who, you know, at best, I think was going to turn into just like an okay seventh, eighth guy who, who can give you, you know, 20 to 25 minutes if you need it. I just felt like it was a, a really low upside pick for a team that, that kind of needed a spark. Um, was there anyone else in 2016? I, I feel like this one we we barely touched on, even though we have more of a sample size to evaluate this class than any of the ones more recently. Um, the only other guy I had besides uh, Bender was Chris Dunn. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just that was a weird draft because it was there were just so many busts. Um, yeah, I mean, like you had you had Simmons, Ingram, Brown. But then, you know, Jamal Murray is basically the only non-bust from four yeah. to ten. And then you have a bunch of other busts after DeMontis Sabonis at 11. So, uh, I mean, like, Thon Maker was a terrible pick, sure. But, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> everybody everybody who went eight through 19 in that draft is bad. I guess maybe except for Malik. Like, Malik Beasley and Jakob Pertle are okay. But those are pretty much all just, like, blah picks for well, an entire stretch. You mean other than Sabonis? Oh, Sabonis, of course. Sorry, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I I didn't penalize teams really for taking these big these big swings on international guys who weren't highly scouted and in, in kind of sure. like the teens because like like I didn't think Seku Dumboya was a bad pick because it's like yeah he's super risky but. I mean, you, you just take a big swing like that every once in a while, and sometimes you get a really good player, sometimes you get absolutely nothing. But when it's in that range of the draft, I mean, you're, you're probably not going to get a stud anyway. Yeah, I mean, if you short, sort by win shares for that draft, the the top five in, in, in terms of their pick number are 1, 11, 27, 7, and 36. <laughs> that ideal. That That's Simmons, Sabonis, Siakam, Murray, and, and Malcolm Brogdon went 36. One that I'm going to throw out there, and I, I feel like you and I hated this pick at the time, and I, I kind of forgot that it happened. It was so bad, and everybody knew this was going to go horribly. This player ended up playing in 21 NBA games, 107 NBA minutes, like could not play can I, whatsoever. Can Bryce I guess? Johnson. Oh, Bryce Johnson, yeah. Right, well, what, that was, what was your guess going to be? Uh, Henry Ellenson. Oh, well, I mean, that, that could easily have been the one. I mean, Papianis <laughs> at 13, he somehow ended up playing four, four times as many minutes as Bryce Johnson. Um, but I remember Doc Rivers like justifying that pick because he he had just watched North Carolina, uh, you know, have a nice run in the tournament. He's like, we we absolutely need this like 1994 well, big man. The funny the funny thing about Bryce Johnson is I I think I remember I did like a mock draft that year, and uh, I got I think I got Simmons and Ingram right, and then I think the only other pick I got right in the first <laughs> round was Bryce Johnson to the Clippers because it was just such a that's such a clear general yeah. manager Doc Rivers pick of just yeah. oh points rebounds good team exactly man I we should go back and look at some of those mocks they were they were brutal I was I was so high on on like 28 year old rookie Chris Dunn uh, <laughs> I remember I remember talking to Marquise Chris at the combine and be like man this this guy I think he's really underrated like he's really well spoken I, I think he's gonna be something horrible um, yikes. <laughs> yeah, we maybe that'll be a, a future pod. We'll we'll evaluate our our former mock drafts, the the Ben Bento pod. I I don't know if people would 
love that pun. But um. <laughs> highlighting how how poor our analysis has been over the years. <laughs> uh, all right, man. Appreciate you putting in the time to do all the research for this. This is this was as fun as I expected it to be. I, I think it lived up to the hype, at least for me. Nice. Yeah, it was a, it was a good time. Thanks for having me. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.